May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. This took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptized. That sounds like kind of a throwaway line, doesn't it? So what? (laughs) But this is the Bible. There are no throwaway lines. Why does it matter where this is taking place? John does not tell us his information because he's hoping that in 2,000 years someone will read his gospel and know exactly where to start doing an archaeological dig. He tells us this because he thinks it's significant that Jesus is baptized beyond the Jordan. John the Baptist is working east of the river in what is now the country, Jordan. So why does that matter? Let me suggest one possibility. What if it's because... Once these people have been baptized, eventually including Jesus himself, once they have been baptized, they're going to have to cross the Jordan River east to west. Jesus will cross the Jordan River eventually to embark on his mission back to Jerusalem, back to his salvific destiny. But he's not the only one in scripture who makes this same journey. Elisha, disciple of the prophet Elijah, also crosses the Jordan east to west. So I kind of made fun of archaeological digs looking for the exact site of interesting biblical events a second ago. But, in point of fact, there was an archaeological dig at a site just east of the River Jordan that revealed remains of medieval pilgrim shrines devoted to the baptism of Jesus Christ by John. They are very close to another holy site, the mountain upon which Elijah was bodily ascended to heaven on God's fiery chariot throne. That event also took place east of the Jordan River. And that the church placed it in immediate proximity to the site of Jesus' baptism by John is not a surprise at all. Because John the Baptist is described by Scripture as being the last and the greatest of the prophets one who recapitulates in many ways the paradigmatic prophetic ministry of Elijah. After a long, dramatic, miraculous career, Elijah was carried into heaven by God in the sight of his disciple, Elisha. Before his departure directly to heaven, Elijah strikes the waters of the Jordan River with his cloak, and the waters are divided, allowing the two men to cross together from west to east. And it's on the east side of the river 
that Elijah asks Elisha what he can do for his disciple before they are parted. Elisha requests a double portion of the spirit of his master Elijah. That is to say, he asks that he can remain in the spirit of Elijah. Even though Elijah is being bodily taken into heaven, Elisha will still walk with his master in spirit and extend his ministry. This request is honored by God. It becomes obvious when after Elijah is taken into heaven, Elisha crosses back over the Jordan east to west, and once again the waters part before him when he strikes them with Elijah's cloak. There's a great company of prophets. They've been following Elijah and Elisha all day, and when they see Elisha returning across the Jordan with Elijah's cloak, they say amongst themselves, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So it's plain to all the prophets that Elisha's request has been honored. Though Elijah is gone, his spirit has passed to his disciple. So what can we learn about John the Baptist from this comparison? Let me suggest that the ministry of both Elijah and John the Baptist is a ministry of readiness. They make people ready for what God is going to do next. There's a low point in Elijah's ministry. He's alone, feeling a little sorry for himself, and he complains in the wilderness to God that everyone in Israel has forsaken God and gone after idols, and now he is being hunted by the cowardly king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, and that there is no one left no one left who is faithful but himself. But God corrects him about this. It's not just you. There are thousands in Israel who have not bowed down to pagan idols, and God promises that he will preserve for himself all those faithful people. He will preserve for himself what the Bible calls time and time again a remnant. This happens constantly throughout the history of Israel. Many fall away from covenant fidelity with God. Many people go after idols. Many people are judged accordingly. Many are even exiled. But God always preserves a remnant, a faithful core of believers. The job of a prophet is to call people back into this remnant, to call them to repentance and return to faithfulness to God. So just like Elisha was said to have the spirit of Elijah upon him, John the Baptist is also in the spirit of Elijah. We know this from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The angel Gabriel 
appears to John's father, Zechariah the priest, to announce his birth. And he says of John that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Gabriel tells Zechariah that his son John will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. What for? To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So even before his birth, John the Baptist is said by the angel to have before him a ministry that is in the spirit of Elijah. This, I think, is why, incidentally, John the Baptist denies that he is Elijah in today's gospel reading. He is not Elijah. Elijah is in heaven. But he is in the spirit of Elijah. And his ministry has the same purpose that Elijah's did. To make a people ready for the Lord. To call people back into that remnant. John the Baptist is sent by God for a testimony to this effect. This is his entire testimony. I am not the Christ. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. That's John the Baptist's testimony. He is here to make the people prepare. He is here to ready a remnant. Now the Pharisees and priests and Levites who are quizzing John don't understand why is he baptizing if he's not the Christ, not Elijah, not the prophet. I baptize with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. This phrase we translate as he who comes after me can just as easily mean he who follows me, as in he who is my disciple. And if that's right, it implies that Jesus is himself, at first, one of John the Baptist's disciples. We know, in fact, that some of Jesus' eventual disciples are also, at first, John the Baptist's disciples. And Jesus himself says that no disciple is greater than his master. It is enough that the disciple be like the master. Here's the one exception. Jesus and John the Baptist are the exception to this rule. Because John the Baptist knows from day one that he is not the master. There is one out there following him who is greater than he is. And just two chapters later in John's Gospel, John the Baptist will be asked if he is jealous, if he's upset, 
that now Jesus followers are baptizing people as well. And John the Baptist confesses there and then just as freely as he does here. He must increase, but I must decrease. Elijah had to learn that there is no room in prophetic ministry for self-pity. When he is facing difficulty, he sits alone in the wilderness and complains that he's the only faithful one left. It's easy to indulge in this kind of self-pity. It's easy to think we are alone. Especially if you find yourself in a somewhat insular community where we have a very particular way of doing things. In some ways, we've adopted a fortress mentality. But there's always a remnant. There's always a remnant. And it's always more than just us. The only real question is, are we actually a part of that remnant? Or do we just think we are? The religious authorities who quiz John the Baptist probably think they are part of the remnant. They think they are the faithful core holding down the fort. But the remnant is out there. It's being gathered out in the wilderness, out there, where John the Baptist is calling the rejects to repentance. John the Baptist has been alone in the wilderness his whole life. He could have easily fallen victim to the same self-pity that Elijah did. After all, John the Baptist's disciples start following Jesus instead of him. Jesus' disciples start baptizing people with water. That's John the Baptist's whole thing. But in response to Jesus making himself known, John responds as he should, as we all should. He must increase. But I must decrease. Friends, in all things, in all things, he must increase. But we must decrease. We must get out of his way. That work is never done. We have the season of Advent every year because we always need this. We always need to repent. We always need to make ready for what the Lord is doing next in our lives. 
And this repentance is not self-pity. It is not a chance to surreptitiously congratulate ourselves on how well we are doing, as opposed to others who can't possibly be quite as faithful as we are. We always need to realign ourselves with that faithful remnant, knowing that that remnant might look strange or surprising to us. Jesus Christ is baptized by John because he himself just is what God is doing next. And then he crosses the river, east to west, and he takes with him that remnant prepared for him by John back to Jerusalem, back home. You and I should be ready for that. Amen.